everyone. This is Molly Douthit. And David Douthit. Welcome to More Than Hearing, a podcast to encourage preachers to use multiple intelligences in sermons and worship leadership, because there are plenty of ways to reach someone's soul. Today's podcast will cover the lectionary selections for the fourth Sunday in Ordinary Time, Year A. Micah 6 and Psalm 15 both describe how we must condition our hearts to enter God's temple. Paul tackles the foolishness of God's wisdom and the strength of God's weakness in the Corinthians passage. And in Matthew, Beatitudes. Let our illustrations and special effects adjust your attitude, or at least your sermon. We have established this podcast based on Dr. Howard Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences. Dr. Gardner suggests that there are multiple ways to learn, process, remember, and understand our world. Each week we develop illustrations and special effects for the weekly readings of the Revised Common Lectionary that use various smarts based on Dr. Gardner's identified intelligences. We call them word smart, eye smart, math smart, body smart, music smart, nature smart, people smart, and self smart. You can read more about Dr. Gardner's work by clicking on the link at the top of our webpage. As we read and reflect on the scripture passages for each week, we explore ways these intelligences can be utilized for a deeper appreciation of God's Word. Anytime and any way we make use of the different smarts, we give people greater access to the Word of God so they can acquire it, process it, and internalize it in ways that make sense to them. So let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back. We are getting ready to head into the scripture passages for year A, Ordinary 4. Um, just a little bit of a heads up, David's working on a bit of a cold, so if you hear, <coughs> hear snarflies and gaggies, it's, it's him. Uh, so we're hoping that that's going to go away real soon. Yes. And quickly. Yes. All right, so we're going to start with a gospel passage assigned for this Sunday, which is Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. This is the Beatitudes. I don't think I need to say anything else, right? Well, I hope. Well, we're going to say some things about the Beatitudes, (laughs) but we're going to say some things about them through the lens of multiple intelligence theory. So we've got one, two, three, four, five of the intelligences that we're going to present to you. We've got an illustration and special effect in WordSmart, special effect for iSmart, illustration for math and nature, and both for body. So we're going to get right to it with WordSmart. One of our favorite folks to uh, to mention to you is Scott Hosey or Hazy or I think it's Hazy Hazy Jose Hazy yeah he in one of his commentaries one time he 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 put in a uh, an explanation of how to pronounce his last name and I can't find it anymore <laughs> so I I think it's Jose okay. Anyway, Anyway, from the Center for Excellence in Preaching, and he writes, Jesus says that he has not come to establish just one more political kingdom in which the powerful win, the confident grin, and the rich pull all the strings. He has come to usher in a new order where the last are first and where the truly excellent are the ones who get sneered at by the rest of the world. So, for an illustration, we are accustomed to these Beatitudes, so we don't really grasp why this address was likely a huge upset for some, 
and a massive injection of hope for others. It's like Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech or uh, Obama's 2004 convention speech, uh, words to and about people who are not power brokers. Mm -hmm. So the the word smart part there is the oration mm -hmm. of of a message to the uh, the underclass, if you will, well, and, the, and the people looking for hope, people looking for uh, something to to get them through the life that they are living. <clears throat> the people who are um, not in the halls of power, right, and and who are wondering who's looking out for us. So right. yeah, so those those, and there are other examples I'm sure out there that you might have too of people who have uh, made an address to somebody that was just wow. Yeah. Kind of a thing. Yeah. For a special effect going in a slightly different direction, uh, make posters that say blessed or blessed, however you prefer to say that, and are, and then each of the endings of the other Beatitudes, mm -hmm. and uh, have three or more volunteers hold up the signs in order as the passage is read, or any time in the sermon that you use those words. It's a little eye smart because it's catching people's eye, but it's, you know, it's giving them the chance to see and read the words. Mm -hmm. Also, if you, you say them a lot, it'll be an air cooling effect because people will be flapping their signs <laughs> around a lot. For an eye smart special effect, um, imagine places where you usually go, like work, school, a supermarket, bus stop, neighbor's house, whatever. Uh, in your imagination, Look around at the places first with no people in them. Just abandon. Nobody there. Then imagine filling them with the people that Jesus calls blessed. Who are those people? What do they look like? Would you usually find them in those places that you go? And if not, where would you find them? And who usually fills your spaces? There's a little bit of people and self-smart in that as well, mm -hmm. but it's, but we put it in iSmart as a special effect because you're using your inner eye, your imagination, and the uh, idea. Imagining the space. Right, the space, mm -hmm. and filling it. Yeah. Yep. For Math Smart, another quote for you, this time from Kat Banakis at the Christian Century. Some commentators have gone so far as to suggest the Beatitudes as a new Decalogue, that is, of course, the Ten Commandments, uh, given next week's reading, in which Jesus says he has come to fulfill and not destroy the law, I'm more inclined to think of them as not a new law, but a gloss on the old one. That is an, an interpretation of mm -hmm. filling in the gaps, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and related to that, then for illustration, Georgetown University Law Center has some basic guidelines to reading, interpreting, and applying statutes. And we have a link to that article mm -hmm. that you might want to take a look it's at. Thick. <laughs> <laughs> it's thick. It, I mean, for a law art, for a, a guideline for a law article, it was surprisingly understandable mm -hmm. and short, but there's still a lot of you really need to know what they're talking about kind yeah, of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, going on, one guideline is for textualism, where judges should look for the meaning of the text, not the intent of the legislature, mm -hmm. which is interesting. Mm -hmm. um, 
Jesus is reinterpreting and filling out Moses' law in this sermon and giving meaning to the text given to Moses. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not sure which way that goes. Is Jesus then interpreting the intent or the text? Oh, that's a good question. And they get into that more a little bit in the next couple of weeks when we actually get to that part where he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Right, yeah. right. So here it's it's a little more implied. He's kind of starting to set that up um, with the idea of blessings and honor to people that you don't ordinarily consider blessed or honored. Right. So he's he's starting that whole, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take this like an, an hourglass and just, you know, chunk, turn it right side or upside down and uh, go with that. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Of course, since he is himself the word of God. Yes, he can interpret it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) however he wants. Exactly, exactly. Uh, For Body Smart, um, I was looking at at verse 8, pure in heart. Uh, The word heart is cardia in Greek. And uh, looking that up, um, it seems that that represents what the true self is, not necessarily the organ beating in your chest, but your true self, what one really is apart from pretense. And if someone is katharos, cathartic, Mm -hmm. clean or unstained, their true self is revealed. So pure in heart, a cathartic cardia. Hmm. I thought that was interesting. So, um, for an illustration. You just can't help doing word I smart. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> well, it actually helped me get into this thought for an, for an illustration for body smart. So, think of all the ways we try to keep our hearts clean, our actual beating organs in our chest. We try to keep them clean through exercise, through diet, through medications. We spend a lot of time and money keeping our biological heart pure, Mm. but how much time and effort do we put into developing a pure heart? Mm. There's a little bit of self-smart cross there, so that's something Mm -hmm. to think about. Um, So for a special effect, if you know anyone or if you yourself are on a special heart-healthy diet, ask them to think about adding a prayer or Bible study to their routine. You know, not just taking the vitamins, but, you know, taking the vitamins and then sitting down and, hey, reading the Beatitudes, for example. Uh, We also have interpretive movement uh, that David put together for this particular passage. So if you go over to the website and download the worksheet for this passage, you will see it at the bottom. And I recommend that. Then just briefly for Nature Smart, trying to think about how, how, how would you express some of this in natural terms, where the, uh, the ones who get dumped on are the ones who get the, <laughs> the stuff, right? The goods. And uh, so I, I just came up with a line, blessed are the gardeners who work manure into the soil. They shall receive the fruits of the harvest. Or to make it shorter, no crap, no crop. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, let's, let's go on. The New Testament lesson for year A, Ordinary 4, is 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 to 31. This is Paul talking about the cross as being foolish to the Greeks and the stumbling block to the Jews, and uh, that, in fact, it is the wisdom of God and the power of God. 
So he goes back and forth through all of that and then invites the Corinthians to consider their own call, how they were not a powerful people or noble or, or particularly strong, uh, but that they are the ones— Even though they thought so. Yes, yes. Um, uh, but that they are the ones that God has chosen to save through Christ. So uh, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord— we have, again, quite a few uh, illustrations and a uh, special effect for you. So we have word smart, eye smart, math smart, body smart, music smart, and nature smart. Molly's going to do a couple of them for us here. So uh, word smart, yeah? Okay. Well, what Paul is doing in this letter is reintroducing the, Christ- the Corinthians to who it is they know in Jesus Christ. And so through this letter, this this literary effort, he is introducing them again to somebody that they know. Um, and people really only know a relationship with Jesus after experiencing it. They begin the experience when they hear a testimony. So Paul taught them Behold, once. Behold, the Lamb of God. Exactly. So Paul taught them once, and now he's teaching them again through this letter, which got me to thinking about how do we, how do we meet people uh, through the written word? And I got to thinking about um, literature. And this is probably one of the most famous first lines in literature. Call me Ishmael. Ah, yes. Yeah. And so through that first line, we begin to meet this guy named Ishmael. uh, And we experience what he experiences on on board the the Pequod with uh, Captain Ahab and Queequeg and all the other guys and that that story of the search for the great white whale, Moby Dick. Uh, So we experience the story much like we experience the story of Jesus in lives of people who testified in meeting him, uh, most likely without harpoons. Yeah, well, we hope, yeah. (laughs) You know, um, we were watching the program about Edgar Allan Poe oh, the right. other night, yeah, and, I about and that. they talked about how in a lot of his short stories, he well, he figured that you had to get the the sense of the story into the, the first, first line. line. So mm-hmm. he does that same thing, introducing a lot of his first person characters with with a very that gripping opening. first line. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was, he was, yeah. He he very definitely had a command of of words and and imagery. He was really a poet. It was a very fascinating, it was on PBS, go look it up if you yeah. want to. Edgar Allan Poe, Buried Alive. Yes, yeah. yes. For iSmart, uh, what caught my attention for this was verses 19 through 25, where Paul claims that God has turned everything upside down through the cross of Jesus in order to save everything. So turning things upside down got me to thinking about the upside down in the Netflix series Stranger Things. Uh, If you haven't seen it, it's about a group of kids who encounter something uh, that is called in the series The Upside Down. And we have a link to um, a video clip of what that looks like and somebody describing what it is. Uh, It's a reality adjacent to our reality in which everything is dark, dead, and menacing. Uh, So Paul may be suggesting that our world is the dead world and the upside down world of God is a world of light, life, and grace. Hmm. At least for people who might be experiencing it that way. Yeah. And and I suppose this might be kind of like the Beatitudes that, you know, if you're living in a land of darkness and somebody comes along and says, hey, turn it this way. Whoa, look at that. Yeah. Sort of the uh, revelation of turning things on their ear. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you could do something like that for a special effect. What? Get a 
picture that doesn't make sense one direction and does the other. There's an optical illusion that's sometimes a bunny or a duck. Well, yeah, there's that. And there's, depending yeah. on which way you turn it, is what it looks like. And then yeah. the old woman and the young woman. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, so you might try those. Going on to math smart, um, and again, this is more logic than math. Uh, we didn't say that in the Matthew passage, oh, but right. that was all logic and not right. math. But This is um, as well. This is as well. Paul's articulation of the message of the cross is foolishness seeks to counter the intellectualism of the Greeks, Romans, and the Jews. And consequently, it also refutes the logic of the 21st century mm -hmm. in much the same way, because those are our roots as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so I got to wondering if Paul was using irony here or paradox and so I had to go and, and look those up and see what's the difference between irony and paradox because he's he, – and I'm not sure I've, I've come to a conclusion about which it is. But um, irony is, the, is when you're working toward a particular goal and the opposite thing happens. Okay. Um, or in literary irony, it's where uh, the audience knows – more than the character knows about their choices. And so you know that the choice they're about to make is going to lead to the opposite of what they hope, but they don't know it, which is kind of interesting. Hmm. Um, paradox is when you have a what appears to be a logical contradiction right. uh, with, with reality. So um, I think you could argue for a long time about which of these is going on here in these in this passage, and maybe it's both. I don't know that Paul is being both ironic and creating a, a paradox. Hmm. Anyway, we've got a couple of links to articles uh, about uh, that difference between irony and paradox that I would uh, commend to you. Okay. For Body Smart, uh, thinking about the stumbling blocks that Paul mentions here, which made me think, uh, you know, Legos, walking across mm. the room, stepping on a Lego. <laughs> ah! uh, or I always imagine a stumbling block as being some uh, like a raised door sill, you know, where people, they put in a door and then and in order to fix the seam between the two yeah. adjoining rooms, they put a little uh, yeah. strip of something, yeah. which is usually a stumbling block for me. <laughs> <laughs> And you don't see it, and then hey, you're on the floor. Yeah. So literal stumbling blocks. What are literal stumbling blocks? What are things that make you catch your toe and then fall down? And then I got to thinking about catching your toe on something, stubbing your toe. And so I went looking looked that up because I was just interested. And it turns out your extremities, your toes, your fingers, and your lips have hmm. a a lot of things called nociceptors that are bundles of nerve endings. It's more so than anywhere else in your body. And they are there to send waves of signals to your brain when you slam into an object. Mm. So if you think about stubbing your toes, that first sharp ow, and then it's kind of like, oh, as the rest of the receptors fire off. So you mm. get the one initial bang, and then all the others are going, oh, hey, did we get hit? Oh, alert and, and sending off to your brain so that you then wind up on the floor gasping and in, in pain. 
I think I'm sharing a little much here, aren't I? But anyway, <laughs> researchers think that the pain of the nociceptors, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, uh, that pain taught our ancestors to tread carefully so as to avoid injury or lacerations that could wind up being deadly. For music smart, for a special effect, try playing some musical cues for key words in the text and your sermon. Uh, you might have a, a sound technician who would do this for you yeah. so you don't, you don't, you don't get too do distracted. But uh, some of the key words like foolish, wise, weak, strong, perishing, saved, so on. Um, so you might have, for example, with foolish, wah, wah on trombone mm-hmm. and uh, a lilting harpsichord for wisdom <laughs> and uh, a flute or a triangle maybe playing something for weak and an electric guitar riff or strong yeah um something creepy for perishing and uh ta-da trumpets for save oh i like that Uh, and then last of all for nature smart um paul's writing here about God's wisdom, it only really makes sense in an entirely different realm that you need to be able to experience for yourself, which got me to thinking about places here on our on our globe that are extremely different to life as we know it. And I thought, oh, hey, where's one of those places? Oh, deep water. So we've got a link um, to some of the, the, the things that live way deep down under the surface of the ocean. So living in God's kingdom, it, has, it, it alters your being, very much like deep sea creatures who have adapted to intense pressure and very little light. So there's a kind of a parable in that, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go on. The psalm for year A, ordinary four, is Psalm 15, the entirety of the whole short psalm, which in its entirety, answers the question, who shall abide in God's sanctuary? Which is the question that the NRSV asks. The psalmist himself asks in verse 1, O Lord, who may abide in your tent, who may dwell on your holy hill? And then goes and answers that, that it's people who walk blamelessly, do what's right, speak truth from their heart, don't slander with their tongue, on and on and on. And then ends it with, those who do these things shall never be moved. Uh, It's very short, but it's got a lot of stuff in it. Um, We found uh, some uh, special effects and illustrations, and we're going to share with you what we found for math. We have both uh, for math, and we have an illustration for music and people smart. So uh, we also found something for for Word, but we're going to skip that and just uh, go on to math and begin there because this one's cool. I like it. (laughs) Okay, so for math, we're doing some engineering this time and looking at that end of the uh, passage, verse 5, that you shall not be moved. Think about dock pilings that shouldn't move. Mm-mm. And that is uh, the the poles and such that uh, you you drive into the ground to hold up a, a pier, pier or, a or a building or what have you. Right? And we have an article about three methods for installing them in a proper way. And the author warns that the first two methods may allow the bottom of the piling to walk, which you probably don't want. No. <laughs> And the best way is to install a piling uh, by drilling four to five feet into bedrock. 
or at least rock into Mm -hmm. rock. Um, So, you know, that sounds kind of like a parable building building on the the rock, (laughs) but we're not there in Matthew yet, but here we are. Right? Ooh, foreshadowing. Do, 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 do. <laughs> so for a special effect, bring in some buckets with sand and gravel and clay in each and insert a, a dowel rod or maybe a, um, I don't know. Depending yeah, how big rod. you want it. A dowel rod yeah. would be good for a small demonstration of yeah, it. You could use yeah. a two by four or a, a yeah. two by two uh, yeah. for a, a larger demonstration. Right. So depending on on what you want to do and how big your buckets are, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you would drive that that rod or the the uh, be- beam, the yep. piling, as it were, into your bucket, and then set a, a piece of plywood or some other uh, flat element across the top. And if you're confident. <laughs> you could add some weight on top of it, maybe even climb on it, but uh, you know, you'd want to be sure yes. that it's not going to walk on you. We've done that before. I, I remember, did do yeah, something I, I can't like that. remember. It was, I, I used, I used yoga blocks and a drawing board. Yeah. Yeah. And time, I used so. it too. And, yeah. and I remember uh, stepping on it and everyone in my congregation just kind of sitting up really <laughs> tall and looking over shoulders. It's like, is she going to fall? Holding their breath. Yep, pretty yep. much. So similarly, you could consider the stress and strain diagrams for different materials. Uh, stress versus strain. This shows how a material deforms under a given amount of force. And... Um, uh, generally, you want to build with a material that doesn't deform a whole lot under these stresses and strains that you would be expecting it to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. And um, different materials uh, will deform differently, of course, and, right. and some are brittle and they'll just snap. Right. And others are ductile and they'll stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, or compress. Or compress, yeah. uh, depending on which way you're going with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they produce different curves. And we've got a, an article that describes how this all works from Wikipedia, which is pretty good, actually. And uh, um, that was, this, this was some of the f- stuff that I really enjoyed when I was studying engineering. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I, I thought this if, was If I were going to do it again, I'd be a materials engineer if I were going to be an engineer. But uh, anyway. Well, this, this is from my childhood of watching my father, who was a civil and architectural engineer, build things. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, anyway, in the same way, the righteousness that uh, this psalm is describing won't give way when uh, the person is tempted to mistreat others, mm-hmm. and that's that's the connection. Yeah, the, the, yeah. The first four or the verses two through four are the pilings, right? That they're that uh, the psalmist is encouraging them to drive into rock. Yeah, and it describes the situations where you might go astray, like right. doing evil to your friends right. or uh, gossiping, you know, uh, right? Like that. Yep. Right. Yep. So, uh, for music smart, we have one, two, three. Four, or uh, options, uh, songs, hymns that we uh, are suggesting. There's um, one called That's How We Walk by Richard Buxvort Culligan, and we have a link to that. You can go listen. Uh, there's the old spiritual, I'm going to live so God can use me. Um, James Seddon wrote a song, Lord, who are, who are they that may dwell 
And there's a psalm chant from King's College Choir in Cambridge, Lord, Who Shall Dwell? So there are uh, some really interesting varieties of options for um, this particular psalm. And there's an acoustic version of this psalm, which is, um, uh, you know, go from the King's Cambridge chant to this acoustic version. It's very different. Mm. Uh, so for another illustration. So we've got links for all those. Yes, things. links yeah. for all of those things. Yes. So compare the characters in this psalm to various stereotypical country songs or pop songs or R&B songs or opera. Really, take your pick. There are a lot of examples of one, the singer is righteous, but the partner is wicked. Or two, the singer is wicked and knows it, but doesn't want to be righteous. So go find a song that matches that. They are everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And then finally, for people smart, um, uh, uh, thinking about gossip. I found an article from Psychology Today um, that asks the question, are you addicted to gossip? Mm. The person writing the article finally came around to the idea that you can't really, that there's no research that quantifies this. Nobody's ever done anything to say you can be addicted to gossip. So he's skeptical that you can be. However, uh, there is kind of this, you know, people talking about other people really gets your attention. And you know, uh, gossip sites, um, gossip magazines, uh, Twitter are really uh, awesome places to go and talk about people. And so there is some research. Barber shops and beauty shops uh, and uh-huh. bars. And... Fellowship hour. Oh, Ooh. church Ooh. parking lots. <laughs> so evolutionary psychologists have done some research on gossip that suggests it is a form of social, this is a quote, a form of social grooming that helps social bonding among large groups of people that language evolved for gossip to occur. <laughs> so we talk because we talk about each other. <laughs> huh. so, Isn't that interesting? So I have to tell you this about this other person in the troop. Right, and right. So words. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Beating a stick on the ground just isn't doing it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, isn't it? But I think that's interesting, too, that it's an idea of it's social grooming and a way yeah. of um, getting in with the tribe. Yeah, think about animals that are that Gary Larson cartoon of the of the one babu grooming the other and saying, so Blanche said to so and so. Yeah. So anyway, there you have it. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Fight your evolution. <laughs> OK, let's go on. The Old Testament lesson for year A, Ordinary 4, is Micah 6, verses 1 through 8. This is a pretty well-known passage, at least the end of it is, Uh, but it starts off with the Lord bringing a case against Israel and um, calling on the mountains in particular to serve as witnesses and jury. Hmm. And, And we didn't find nature smart for this. Oddly enough. <laughs> there you go. There's your nature smart There it is. Yeah. yeah. And um, then the Lord lays out the case. What did I do to you that you should abandon me? You know, all I did was bring you up out of slavery from Egypt and give you a good land. Really? So then uh, going on to the... Uh, uh, correction phase directly from from there and saying, what does the Lord require? Um, 
Well, actually, it, it turns to, I guess, Israel responding, mm-hmm. perhaps, what mm-hmm. shall I, with what shall I come before the Lord? And uh, shall I bring this kind of sacrifice or that kind of sacrifice? Uh, no, the Lord has told you what's good. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. We have Body Smart, a special effect, illustration in music, several illustrations in music, uh, both in people and illustration for Self Smart. Alrighty. Take it away. Start with Body Smart. For a special effect, I thought, uh, invite people to uh, feel in their bodies what it might be to walk humbly. Mm-hmm. And if you know, even have people just stand up uh, who are who feel like they might want to do it, or invite some people forward who are you know not afraid of being seen, and say, "Okay, walk humbly," and then notice what they do. Do they do they hunch their shoulders? Do they put? The, do they look down at the ground? Do they kind of shuffle their feet? Um, what does it mean? I mean, is it something that's servile, or does walking humbly mean looking directly at other people? and being aware of how you are connected with them. So you're not lording it over them, but neither are you acting like you're a worm. Mm. You are connected with the people around you, which is what I think um, uh, the, the, the this section of Micah is getting at, is stop acting like what I have given you, says God, is yours alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's for all of you. So there's a little bit of people smart in this as well. Sure. Um, uh, once you get there, but I mean, just the, the idea of how do you, how do you in your body walk humbly? Yeah. And then, you know, you can go from there. See what, see what you come up with. Neat. For music smart, we have suggestions of four different songs. And the first is What Does the Lord Require of You by Jim Strathdee. And we've used this one in yeah, various and, places and I'm in our I'm sure you probably all know and, it. Yeah. It's it's used frequently in youth ministry. It's that three part round. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's been around a bit for for a few years, about mm-hmm. twenty years probably. At least. Um, then there's uh, another song, Every Step of the Way, which is an original work by Christopher Grundy. And we've got a link for a video with that. And it's um, a prayer mm-hmm. asking God, help me to do all these things, mm-hmm. uh, to do the justice, to to be connected. Mm-hmm. Then uh, Let Justice Roll Down Like a River by Marty Hagen. And this for this one, we've got uh, a, a sheet of the music that mm-hmm. you can link to. In with a, the lyrics. With the lyrics as well. Um, and then the last one is in Zulu, and it is Sizohamba Naye, which means we will walk with God. And if you've ever done uh, Siahamba, then you might recognize the word in there, Hamba, meaning walk. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, we've got a link for that one as well, and uh, it's a it's a lovely too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. all good stuff. For people smart, um, I was uh, uh, I, I subscribed to the Christian Century Sunday's Coming Premium mailing list, and uh, if you also do that, you will have access to an essay by Kat Benakis, who we have uh, mentioned already in this podcast. Uh, She wrote an essay titled Everyday Kindness, and here's an excerpt from that. Um, 
each of these women, she uh, to back up a little bit, she's struggling with fertility issues, mm. and uh, or at the time she wrote it, she was struggling with fertility issues, and so she was talking about the day that she had been having when she found out that one more treatment was not successful. So uh, she writes this: each of these women that she encountered during the day blessed me with their words when I was in need. I think of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, a mixed crew of humanity, not many of them wise by human standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. Some were, but most were not. Most were everyday saints living out the best of humanity in kindness and hope, completely outside their official job descriptions. So there's a little bit of a crossover to the Corinthians passage there. You could use that as an illustration there as well. But I thought it was a good place to use it here because we're speaking specifically of kindness and the way these women showed kindness to her. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she writes about these uh, this struggle. Uh, there's a nurse, an insurance representative, and an Uber driver who happened to be a minister who were kind to her. Um, and so if you read this particular uh, essay, the whole thing is an illustration of what showing kindness, uh, what God requires of us um, in, in, this particular, in this particular essay. Um, also, uh, for an illustration, I have a link to a sermon by a man named Paul Nukterlein. I think that's how you say his name. Uh, it's based on this passage using Groundhog Day, the movie Groundhog Day, as an illustration for living the way God calls us. Uh, so if you remember the movie Groundhog Day, Bill Murray wakes up on February 2nd repeatedly. And at first, once he figures out he's stuck in this loop, he's he's despairing and he finds many ways of ending his life. And then he wakes up the next day having not succeeded. And then through the movie, he figures out, I can learn things about people. And so in learning things about people, particularly the character played by Andy McDowell, he becomes a better person. And then at the end of the movie, he's, he's had this thing Spoilers. for her. Here come the spoilers. Here come the spoilers. At the at the beginning of the movie, he had a thing for her, but it was just, you know, very superficial. But by the end of the movie, he has come to grow to love her as a person and realizes he can never be the kind of person that she needs in her life. And he tells her this. And in doing that, he gets out of the loop. It's February 3rd, which is a really cool parable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's kind of a, a, a sort of um, an extended Christmas carol. Uh, Scrooge learning mm. how to be the kind of person that God intended him to be. That's that's interesting because Bill Murray also played Was Scrooge, Scrooge? <laughs> uh, or a Scrooge character. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. wonder if there were reasons why he was choosing those roles. I don't know. Don't know. I don't know. So anyway, a special effect that you could use for People Smart here, uh, either using this sermon by uh, Reverend Nuclerlane or the essay by Miss Ka- Miss Banakis, um, break into groups and discuss these things. In what ways have you been shown mercy and kindness by others? In what ways have you extended mercy and kindness? And why does walking humbly with God make a difference? For self-smart, looking at verse 6 and following, the uh, part where it's, what what shall I bring to Mm -hmm. the Lord? Uh, When you come to worship, do you actively consider what you will bring as an offering to the Lord? Do you put any thought into it at all? Or do you just come in and follow the bulletin or whatever's up on the screen? Or uh, have your check written or Mm -hmm. not? Or... 
you know, are, are you giving a consideration to, to it? what you're giving as opposed to what you're getting? Yes. Mm. How often do you consider sacrificial giving? Like in verse seven, should I give my firstborn? Hmm. Should I give the flesh, of, uh, the fruit of my flesh? Hmm. What does the Lord require? What would be your equivalent offer in something like that? Then shifting gears for another illustration a little bit, can you think of a time when uh, maybe you had done someone wrong, someone <laughs> that you love, and you needed to patch it up somehow? You wanted to appease them uh, for what you had done. What did you consider as options for what you might bring? What did you finally bring as an offering? And how did that turn out? There's little people smart in that as well, of course, in the relationship, but uh, uh, that's a lot coming from your heart, or hopefully coming from your heart. Yeah. That's it for today's podcast. Please ask questions or leave us a comment on our website, www.morethanhearing.org, or facebook.com slash morethanhearing, or tweet us at at morethanhearing, or email us at connect at morethanhearing.org. If you tried any of these suggestions, or maybe got an idea you like even better than ours, please let us know what you did and how it went. We would love to hear how using this theory has made a difference in your preaching and worship. Remember to check out the show notes, worksheets, links, and resources at our website. They work together with the podcast and give you lots more material to work with. Don't forget to subscribe using the links at the website for iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, or good old RSS. Or point your podcatching software at morethanhearing.org slash feed slash podcast. Help others find us more easily by writing a review at the iTunes store or any of these directories. And of course, you can share the show with your friends and colleagues. We'll be back with another episode next week. So in the meantime, stay subscribed and be smart.